Hello, and welcome to Ready and Newman's Daily Podcast, your go-to place for common questions about immigration to the United States. Ready and Newman is a team of experienced business immigration attorneys who handle a host of visa categories and complex immigration cases. This podcast will provide an insight into our daily free conference calls hosted by our attorneys, as well as discussions on hot immigration topics. Please note that information provided is not to be construed as legal advice for your specific situation and does not constitute an engagement with Ready & Newman PC or establish an attorney-client relationship. For specific advice on your situation, please contact an attorney. Here's your host. My name is Rebecca Chen. I'm a partner with Ready and Newman, and I'll be conducting the conference today. Uh, Gayatri, can you start our first question? Sure, Rebecca. Jagdish. Uh, hi, Rebecca. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, my question is uh, if you can give me a clarity on when I 485 supplement is filed and leave the company before six months. So, is this six months period applicable only for 485J or is it for I 485? And uh, uh, if I change the company before six months, will I still be able to use the EB3, EAD, or AP, or qualify in EB2? Right. So this is um, an I-485J supplement that was filed requesting the interfile, right, from EB3 to EB2, and you're um, looking at potentially changing employers before the 180 days from the J supplement filing. Yes. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, on USCIS's website, they have stated that the clock resets, the 180-day clock resets after the J supplement filing for the transfer of underlying basis. It's not quite clear whether that really is true, what they say on their website. There's nothing in the regulation that requires that. So we have been advising people that we're still warning people that you may get questions about it potentially since that is for now, USCIS's policy on their website, but if you do decide to change employers before the 180 days, um, you know, just be prepared to kind of make the argument if you are asked about it, we would usually recommend not filing the J supplement with the new company unless um, it's absolutely required, which for the most part, it's not really needed so that it doesn't trigger any additional scrutiny. Um, And worst case scenario, if USCIS decides that that 180 day clock reset really is required. It seems like at most they would just uh, not allow you to um, interfile. It doesn't seem that the whole I-485 would be denied. I don't see how they could deny the entire I-485 at most. Your I-485 would continue processing in the EB-3 category. Um, So that's potentially um, if they you know, do enforce that 180-day reset. In the meantime, if you do change employers before the 180 days um, with the interfile, yes, you can continue using the EAD that uh, you received based on the pending I-485. So that EAD is attached to to that I-485 regardless what category it's in. So you can continue using it even if you have requested the transfer to EB2. Okay, thanks. I just follow up question on that. Does it require to be working in the same or similar position until GC is approved? Uh, what if I don't have a job and receive an RFE 
will my gc be denied yes that is a risk and that is pretty um well settled that's not really kind of a gray area like the 180 day clock reset so when you are moving to a new employer the new position does need to be same or similar to the one that was described in your i-140 petition um you can't really move to a situation where you have you are unemployed and have no job offer. Um, if you have no job offer at all supporting the I-45, it could be denied. Um, but the job offer, again, is a job offer. It doesn't require you to actually be working for the company. So if there is a situation where, for example, there's a temporary situation where you cannot work but there is a valid job offer from a company that would be willing to file the J supplement confirming that. There, that could be a situation where you're not actively working, but the I-45 can continue processing. But if you're moving to a situation where you're unemployed and there's no company offering you a position, that the I-45 technically can't really be supported in that situation. Okay, uh, next question. Shashi? Uh, hi. Um, hi. So my uh, question is, um, um, so I'm uh, currently on uh, F1 OPT and uh, I, uh, my H1B uh, application did not get selected uh, in the lottery this year. So, um, and my uh, F1 uh, uh, status uh, uh, or the EAD is going to expire in about a, in about a month, in about a in about a month's time, and uh, in a, uh, sorry, uh, it's good. sorry, it's it's going to expire in about a month's time, and I'm considering to you know, cons I'm considering H four application. My wife is on H one B, but um, uh, the, the, uh, the issue is that if I uh, the the issue is that if I apply. Uh, from here, it takes a long time uh, for, for, for the change of status to happen to get the EAD. So I'm considering, uh, um, you know, going to a third country because uh, right now the wait times uh, for uh, uh, H4 applications in, uh, in India are, are very long. So I want to know what are the risks for this specific case, uh, you know, to apply from, uh, you know, from a third country. I see yellow You can try. Um... It, the problem right now is that most U.S. consulates, uh, not many of them are accepting what they call third country national applications because a lot of them are still catching up from the backlog of the pandemic. Um, most of them are still limiting their visa availability to citizens or residents of the country where they're based. So um, that may be the main challenge. If you are able to find a consulate that is accepting third country national applications and you are able to book a an H4 visa appointment there, that's fine. There's no problem with um, applying at another country's consulate. Um, as far as I know, Canada technically is accepting third country national applications, but I have not heard of anyone who has been successful in scheduling an appointment there. So that's another issue. Even if the consulate on their website is saying that they're accepting their TCN applications, 
they may still have very limited visa availability. It may not be any earlier than what you would be able to book in India, for example. Um, but if you are able to find something that is fine, um, that could potentially be a faster way of getting into H4 status as opposed to the I-539. Uh, it just depends. Um, it may not end up being that much faster. Um, I would probably still file the I-539 application within the 60-day grace period to be safe just to have something filed and pending. And in the meantime, you can be checking for um, consular appointments. Um, it's fine for you to depart the U.S. Um, if you do secure an H-4 visa appointment, you can depart the U.S. before the I-539 is approved. The I-539 will be denied once you depart the U.S., but you'll be getting the visa stamp from the consulate, hopefully, and, and coming back in. Okay. Don't, don't, I'm sorry, just a, a short point. Don't you need to prove like strong uh, social, economic, or familial ties to a, a consulate, a third, third uh, country? Or Not necessarily. It really depends on the consulate. So pre-pandemic, it was pretty common for um, Indian nationals to apply for their H-1B visa stamp from a consulate in Canada, even if they were not a resident there um, and had you know, no ties there. Um, it really depends on the consulate now. I, my suspicion is that it will still be pretty difficult even to find a third country national consulate at this time. We haven't heard of good options really um, that are alternative to the Indian consulate wait times, unfortunately. Okay. Thank you, Eddie. Uh, sure. Next question. Ashok. Hey, can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Hey, um, I had my H1 max out uh, like on 720, like July 20th, my H1 is maxing out from employer A. And uh, Sorry, they which filed day uh, July 20th. Okay. Okay. So they filed uh, H4 uh, to begin on June 20th. Okay. Okay. And at the meantime, I had a 140 from a future employer, and then they filed my H1, and then it got approved today. Oh, okay. So uh, are you clear on the terms? Like, yeah, is the H4 still pending? Yeah, the H4 is still pending. So since I got it approved today, I am planning to withdraw the H4. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I am scared that uh, once I send in the uh, withdrawal notice, it could be approved and then rejected. And by the way, so the last last action rule, I'll not be left the status. So how would it work here? What is the best course of action to take? Um, yeah, so the H-1B with the future employer, with that company, it was approved as an extension of status with the I-94? It was a transfer with the I-94, yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, um, hope, yeah, so I would go ahead and send in a withdrawal request for the I-539 application. Hopefully it gets updated in USCIS's system in time, and if so, then you know, the I-539 will just get withdrawn and your H-1B status will continue. Um, but as you've probably heard, USCIS's withdrawal process is not always very fast. Um, there are times when we've submitted a withdrawal request and then the application still gets approved because they didn't update it quick enough in their system. If that happens and you do get an H-4 approval notice, um, as you mentioned, the last action rule would it would kind of put you back in H-4 status. If that happens, um, at that time, you would need to stop working 
um, immediately, but what you can do to try to get back into H-1B status pretty quickly is to take your transfer approval notice with the I-94 and go to Canada or Mexico for automatic revalidation. Even if your H-1B visa stamp um, is expired, automatic revalidation allows you to go to Canada or Mexico for 30 days or less and come back with the um, expired visa stamp, the new approval notice with the I-94, and you'd be given a new I-94 by CBP for H-1B, and then that would become the most recent I-94. Got it. But the, the thing is, with the last action rule, like they approve it and then if they revoke it, what happens? Approve and then revoke. Oh, um, I don't think that they would revoke the I-539 after it is approved. Um, so if it's approved, it would just go into effect. Um, it's not really like the H-1B where, um, you know, if there's a petition that's approved that qualifies you to work for a company and you withdraw it, a company withdraws an H-1B because they're no longer employing that um, worker and they don't want to be obligated to pay the LCA wages and that kind of thing. Um, if you withdraw an I-539, I don't think that they would revoke it after it's been approved. We haven't really seen that happening. Also, okay. you can't really tell, even if they were to do that, there's no real way to predict when that would happen. And so in the meantime, from the time the H-4 is approved, it's in effect, you won't be able to work. So um, I would pretty much just be prepared if needed to make a quick trip to reactivate the H-1B. So would I need a visa to go to Canada just for the revalidation purposes or not? Um, so if you, that is a bit of a gray area right now. It, up until recently, I would say you did not need a Mexican visitor visa if you had a valid I-94, if you were in valid status in the U.S. right now, basically. Um, it does seem like in recent months, because I think a lot of people have been going to Mexico for the purpose of trying to get the H-4 auto extension on the EAD, um, because there have been a lot of travelers going to Mexico for that purpose. We have been hearing of more instances where Mexican immigration officials have been telling people you should get a Mexican visitor visa if you're coming in with an expired U.S. visa stamp. Um, not all the time. We still hear people who are successfully able to go to Mexico without a visitor visa. Um, I've had some clients where um, they were still admitted into Mexico, but the immigration authorities told them next time you come, make sure you have a visitor visa. So to be safe, it may be best to go ahead and apply for the Mexican visitor visa. Okay, thank you. Sure. Next question. Vigil? Yeah, hi. Uh... So my question is, my husband received his green card in EB2 um, on June 3rd of this month. So my status, it went to uh, case remains pending. So the, 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 the verbiage they had was uh, visa numbers are unavailable at this time. And I think on, I think last week they had changed it to a different verbiage stating that the underlying basis of the application had changed. So I'm like clueless. I don't know what's happening if, uh, you know, with my application, how should I proceed, you know, how to get the details on, you know, what's going on and how do I 
kind of expedite this because you know my husband already got it and our friends who are in a similar timeline are, are getting their green cards. So is your husband the principal applicant and yes. yours was, okay. Yes. Um, yeah, so it's actually not that uncommon right now for families who filed together um, that they're not all approved at the same time. It has been happening um, somewhat frequently actually this year. Um, so you're definitely not alone. Um, from what we've seen in those situations, the uh, remaining family members do eventually get the I-485 approved. It seems to be just a situation where we don't know for maybe they think um, to speed up processing, they're kind of splitting up files between different officers. And so it's just a matter of different officers going at different paces. But um, in every situation like that, where one um, family member has been approved and one or more are still pending, they do eventually get approved if there wasn't anything unusual in the pending application. It's just a matter of time. The bad news is we haven't seen really a way to expedite it. Um, in some cases, it's taken about four to six months, sometimes after the first green card was approved until the rest of the families was approved. Sometimes it's faster. I had one situation exactly like that recently where the derivative spouse, um, their approval arrived about a month after the mm -hmm. principal applicants arrived. But I have also had situations where the child's took another four or five months after her parents were approved. Um, mm -hmm. And contacting USCIS um, has not worked. They just say it's a, within the normal processing time. Um, reaching out to the congressperson's office has not really been that successful. They are just told the same thing by USCIS and mm -hmm. it's still under process. Um, okay. So I wouldn't worry too much. It's I, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong in your application. Um, the case status updates are also kind of not very informative. Um, one thing we do know is that that immigrant visa number is unavailable um, is kind of a default message that started appearing when mm -hmm. um, people were interfiling and the case status system was not updated to, to deal with that. And um, that was the default message that appeared. So it doesn't mm -hmm. mean that they think your priority date has retrogressed. Um, that message has been pretty common for people um, who were interfiling. So actually in your situation, I wouldn't be too concerned actually. Um, if you want, you can try reaching out to your congressperson's office, um, mm -hmm. just if they can do something to move it along. But um, I wouldn't be too surprised if that doesn't yield too many results. Um, but I would probably just wait and um, mm -hmm. and just, just wait for them to finish processing it. Sure, thank you. I have a related question for that. Um, so my, I have my own I-140 petition. Uh, it's for February 15, 2015. So it may get current next month in August, right? So I'm, I'm hoping for that. But if we were, if my company was to go ahead and apply for an I-485, so at that point, will there be a conflict because I have a dependent application and now like an independent as a primary, will that gonna be a conflict? There's no conflict. So we've had um, people in that situation where both people in the couple have their own I-140s and sometimes both the husband and wife submit two I-45s 
um, each, you know, one is a principal and mm -hmm. one is a derivative and that's no problem. Just whichever one gets approved first gets approved first. I would say in your situation, um, it shouldn't really be necessary because, mm -hmm. um, and I don't think even if your priority date becomes current later this year, a brand new I-45 will start processing from the beginning, whereas yours should be at the end, your current one should be at the end of its processing time. So I think a new I-45 for you, it wouldn't hurt, but I don't think it's really necessary. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Next question. Sure. Murti. Uh, hi, Rebecca. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, I have a quick question. Like uh, uh, in October 2020, uh, I applied for my 485 with my uh, old employer. So as of that time, I was working for that employer. So uh, 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 I applied for myself and uh, my son, who is. Uh, um around 20 years old and okay. for my wife after the, after six months i moved to full time uh, with another company then they filed my 485j to transfer uh, uh, my 485 application to their company so okay. then uh, during 2021 october time frame uh, uh, like uscs uh, encouraged everyone to go for interfiling mm -hmm. because i am an ac21 um, I don't have an opportunity to uh, like a uh, interfile to EB2 because I have EB2 in uh, with my previous employer who is willing to do the interfile. So in this situation, um, since uh, my priority date is uh, March 2012 in EB3 and uh, uh, my, uh, my date is currently in EB2 for the last uh, months. So what are the options left out for me at this point of time? Like, can I go back to my previous employer or can he apply in EB2 route uh, as yeah, a file? You said your party date is March 2012, so it has never been current in EB3, right? Yes. Yeah, and... Um, I don't know. Last year it became current. Uh, my son age got locked in EB3. Last year? But after that, uh, EB3 line is also open. Last year, yes. Last year, uh, August timeframe, EB3 2012 March got uh, current. That's right, yeah. And, and uh, around uh, November timeframe, it got retrogressed again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you have a couple options. Um, so if your son's age did get locked um, last year, it will remain locked even through the retrogressed party dates right now. So, um, has he already mm -hmm. turned 21? No, he he's uh, uh, turning 21 in August. This August? Okay. Um, I would say in your case, in order to get into EB2, it would probably require your prior employer to file. It, you would probably need to file a new I-485, a new set of I-485s in the EB-2 category supported by the J supplement of your prior employer. And if you're going mm -hmm. to do that, you, sh you should file it as soon as possible um, before your son turns 21. Uh, should I need to work with the employer or I can continue with the uh, like full-time employee? Like current employee. You, yeah, you have the option. Of, uh, so you don't necessarily need to rejoin that EB2 employer if they're willing to offer you the position and sign the J supplement confirming they still have the job offer for you. You don't actually need to be working for that EB2 employer at the time you file the I-485. 
but depending on the company, if the company on their side, if they require you to rejoin before they will support the I-45, then mm -hmm. you may need to rejoin. But if the company is okay with supporting your application without you having to transfer back, then yeah, then you don't need to, at the time of filing the new I-45, I would try to get that prepared and filed in July before your son. So this is called refiling, right? Not interfiling. Yes. Yeah, that would be a refile. Oh, okay. And then so I don't so need to join. Set, yeah, you'll have one if set in EB2 and one set in EB3. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. okay. Thanks, Rebecca. And one more quick question. Like, you know, my son wants to visit India for three weeks and he wants to come back. Right now we have EAD and AP. So can he come back on his own without accompanying myself or no, my wife? I, if, you are, if you are planning to refile in EB2, he should not travel internationally this summer. He needs to stay in H4 status so that he can file the I-485s because he needs to be in H4 status in order to file a new set of I-485s. Oh, then in that case, my wife and my son are already using uh, um, EAD and AP because okay. my son is doing internship. Okay. Um, and if they do, if you do want to file a new set of I-485s in the EB2 category, they would need to get back into H4 status first, which mm -hmm. depending on their immigration documents, they might be able to do if they do automatic revalidation. I would probably discuss with an attorney in more detail separately okay. um, because okay. they'll, they'll need to look pretty carefully at all the timelines and when your son would age out all of that okay okay sure thank you so much sure. next question Jitin. hi hi rebecca thank you i hope you can hear me yes go ahead yeah so uh it's regarding the rfe which i received for the standalone h4 uh, uh extension which i uh, filed online uh, my uh, my H1 petition is still pending with uh, USAS in Texas. Uh, so today I got an RFE uh, stating that uh, uh, that I have to uh, provide the approval notice of my I-797 uh, just to establish maintenance of status. So I'm I oh. just want to know what should I do. Um, was the H4 application filed concurrently with the H1B extension? No, I I filed it separately uh, after a week. Yeah. Okay. Um, do you happen to know on the I-539 form, did you mark the box? What, was the box marked that um, this I-539 is being filed based on an already approved petition? Uh, I filed it uh, with my uh, uh, receipt notice, actually. Okay. Pending um, with the USCIS, yeah. Okay, yeah, because there is a question on the I-539 form. There are kind of two options. You can mark mm -hmm. that it's being filed based on a pending application and give the Correct. receipt. That's number. what I did. Yes, that's okay. what I did. Yeah. Yeah, that's a little unusual than why they sent an RFE, um, because usually in that situation, if they know that it's based on a pending application, they, they'll they wait to adjudicate the H-4 until there's a decision on that on that mm -hmm. H-1B case number. Um, I don't know if it's just an officer that is a bit unfamiliar. Um, I would say if you uh, if you just got the RFE, there should be probably at least sixty to ninety days for no. Yeah, so that's that's a problem. So my response time is just one month. So July twenty eighth, I have to respond back. They just gave okay. me a month. It's a bit so. unusual. Um, and your H one B is still pending. Um, I would say. 
So there is, I believe the RFE grace period from COVID is still in place. So technically you could probably wait to respond until September. But if you do want to kind of just get it taken care of quickly, um, you could just upgrade your H-1B extension to premium processing, get the approval okay. notice, and then send in the approval notice in response to the RFE. Um, the see. other option is to respond to the RFE by end of July, um, stating that the H-1B that it's based on is still pending and just provide the receipt notice and maybe like a printout of the case status website that shows it's still pending. Okay. Um, Should I attach my previous uh, I-797 approval notice? Uh, Yes, so you do need to include um, your previous H-1B approval notice to show that you are currently in H-1B status. So if you didn't include that with the initial I-539 application, I would include mm -hmm. that with the RFE response. Got it. So I'll have to wait or I have to ask my employer to upgrade my petition to premium to move forward. Yeah, right? but it shouldn't really right. be necessary to upgrade to premium because even if the extension is still pending, that's fine. That wouldn't result in an H-4 denial. Um, okay. In that case, if you decide not to upgrade to premium, then I would respond with your prior H-1B approval. Got it. And the receipt notice and explain the pending extension is still sure. in process. Yeah, makes okay. sense. Thanks a lot, Rebecca. Sure. Thank you. Next question. Kishore. Hey, can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Uh, hi, hi, Rebecca. Um, I, I, my employer filed um, green card and I got one. I one forty approved. My son, who is fifteen years old, I mean, is going to complete sixteen in uh, August. So I, my question is like, can I apply H four EAD for him in order to get a job? I mean, part time job uh, uh, while he was in schooling. Yeah, unfortunately, the H-4 EAD is only available for spouses right now. Um, they have not authorized the EAD for children of H-1B visa holders. Okay. Okay, okay. thank you. Sure. Uh, next question. Vikas. Hi, Hi, Rebecca. I am on L-2 visa. Uh, so I filed an extension for the, you, uh, my L2 visa and then I went to uh, CBP office so that they will extend my I-94 to get the automatic EAD approval process done. Later uh -huh. on, uh, approval, they have uh, updated my I-94 along with my wife's I-94 date till March 2024. But I got one, uh, my I-539 visa extension has been denied. So what are my next steps to do? So with CBP, you went to CBP to get them to add the L2S designation so that you could, okay. And they gave you the I-94 at CBP valid until 2024? Right. And the extension I-539 letter, but that one got denied. Because okay. of that, reason, uh, I did that uh, like, Court of entry. So they have denied it. Do you want me to refile the, uh, the uh, do the 290B form or again do the extension? I um, so actually at CBP, um, I know that L2 uh, spouses were going to CBP just to get the, L the S added to the L2 so that 
um, they could get the automatic extension of the EAD, but CBP isn't really supposed to be on their own extending the I-94 period um, unless, did you like depart the U.S. and come back in with your wife's L1? Yes, I-797. Yep. Okay, so it wasn't just going to CBP deferred inspection. You made a trip outside the U.S. and came back in. I see. Okay. Um, and then the I-539 was filed before you departed the U.S.? Yes. Okay. Was it, and it was an extension, right? Not a change of status? It's an extension. Okay. Um, it should be fine um, because your I-94 from CBP um, basically gives you status until 2024. You don't really need the I-539 anymore. If I'm understanding correctly, um, you filed the I-539 extension for the L-2, and while it was pending, you departed the U.S., came back in um, with your wife's L-1 approval notice valid until 2024 and already got the L-2S valid until 2024 for yourself. Yeah, yeah so that basically achieved the same result as you were looking for from the I-539 process. So um, I, I'm not really, why was the I-539 denied? I have messaged you that <clears throat> they also stated the same. So I did. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. So I see that language. Yeah. So they denied it basically also for the same reason, basically that it's not needed. That I guess in USCIS, they are now cross-checking with CBP records. Um, so actually in your situation, you don't need to do anything. They denied it because you no longer need the I-539 because you basically already got the L-2 extension through the most recent trip back into the U.S. So um, you should be fine. You don't need to reapply for the I-539. Your status, L-2 status is valid now until 2024 based on that online I-94 from CBP and you just need to file the extension for that before, you know, six months before it expires in 2024 or 2023. Okay, yeah. Okay. Um, you're welcome. Um, I can take one more question, Gayatri. Sure, Rebecca. Kiran? Uh, hi, uh, can you hear me? Mm -hmm. Hi, yes. So uh, uh, my date is current and uh, we filed the interfile uh, a few weeks back. So I'm basically waiting for my um, uh, RFE for medical. So as of now, I have two sets of RF uh, medicals uh, in my hand. So I heard Rahul already saying that I should be sending the medicals even before the RFE is issued. So I was wondering how I can send and where should I be sending? Uh, my, my case is with the Nebraska Service Center as of now. Okay. Um, yeah, technically USCIS on their website, they have said officially that they don't want people sending in unsolicited medicals, um, meaning, you know, sending it yourself without an RFE. Right. But um, I know that Ravel has been recommending it just um, if you are okay with the, you know, getting the expense of another uh, exam or have an extra copy. It shouldn't really hurt anything, I don't think. Um, so if you do want to send it in independently, the the main thing to be aware of is when you send it in independently without the RFE, there's no guarantee at all. It will actually get matched up to your file because they're moving files around so much. Um, 
but if you do want to try sending it in and be prepared to send in the other one once you do get an RFE, if you get an RFE, um, that's fine. We actually have instructions on our website. There's an article in our news section. I think if you just um, do a search in our news section um, for medical interfile, we have like instructions step-by-step step on there for okay. if you want to send it in yourself, including a sample cover letter. Okay, great. Thank you. Thanks very much. Okay, um, so we'll have to end the conference here for today. The next one will be tomorrow at 1130 Central Time. Is that right? Tomorrow's Thursday? Yes. Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening to Ready and Newman Daily Podcast. We sincerely hope that you've taken something valuable out of it. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. For more information or if you want to make an appointment, check out our websites, rnlawgroup.com and immigrationgirl.com. Have an awesome day.